You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the creators of Star Trek outside of Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today is our eighth and final part at our look on Gene Roddenberry as a television series creator. Today we're going to do a bit of a recap. It's like Shades of Grey. So we're going to, yeah, just look at all of the shows that he created, give our thoughts briefly, and then maybe try to draw some conclusions on the whole. So the first Roddenberry series was The Lieutenant, which was about a, a marine... Um, who was a marine during peacetime, stationed at a military time. base during peacetime, there who you, in, you know interacted with other people in the military during peacetime. Yes, in, in peacetime related activities, it's important. Yeah, I understand. It's not that important. <laughs> okay, all right. So, what did you think about the lieutenant? Um, I think that it seems a lot like a lot of other procedural cop shows. Yeah the the idea that it's a that it's a military lieutenant like a in the in the armed forces, that's sort of, I guess, insignificant. Ultimately, it you know, it wraps itself up in the same sort of procedural uh, structure that most procedural series do. Yeah, but as far as procedurals go, and I mean, you also got to look at the time period in which it was produced. I think that um, on the whole, it, it was a pretty solid uh, bit of yeah, TV. I, yeah, that, that's that's not that's not the point. I mean, there's plenty of solid pieces of TV. It's like the He's like, yeah, he knows how to make a good TV show. Roddenberry knew that. He was good. But it's not really worth getting excited about this other Roddenberry show because, you know, why don't you just watch Bones or Castle or Law and Order? They're all the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's more interesting from a historical perspective than anything else. Um, It's not a show that I would probably sit down and watch on my own, but, uh, you know, I think that it, it, it looks like a decent show. And, uh, you know, I think it's better than most of the shows in Roddenberry's career. And I do think it's interesting that it kind of, uh, you start to see the uh, the early seeds of Star Trek in there. I think they're more the early seeds of Roddenberry's personality. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. Yeah, and I think that Roddenberry's attitudes on things is the much more significant thing than... His general contribution to Star Trek. Yeah. His actual contribution to Star Trek is probably less positive than his personal contribution. Mm-hmm. Well, well let's talk about his contribution to Star Trek, because that was his next show, which was in 1966, Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that Star Trek is uh, it's an example of, of, of Roddenberry's ideas for for television shows really coming to full fruition you know what i mean like um, like like you see like little pieces of things which he was trying to do here and there and it's like star trek was a vehicle which allowed him to do everything you know what i mean well i think this is the thing i've like brought this up um recently i think i was you know emily and i are watching next gen and and she started like asking questions about sort of the nature of star trek's reality Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, here's the thing about Star Trek. The ship, the time period, the transporters, 
these were all mechanisms that allowed for one guy to say to a group of people, write whatever you want. Pretty much everything's fair game. We can do almost anything we want to do here. Unless you're Harlan Ellison. Unless you're Harlan Ellison. But, I mean, that's just because when Harlan Ellison gets into a room, he's like, hey, guys, did you know that if you pour a diet soda into the air conditioner, you can start a fire? And they're like, why would we want to do that? And he's like, it'll be interesting when we're all choking. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's sort of his thing. He sort of finds the weakness and, and exploits it because it's... You know, it's, it's actually a pretty good way of making things better. Uh, you know, just you, you break the problematic things, and then and then you cause problems. And and Roddenberry never quite came to terms with the idea that Star Trek had in its course some the fundamental dramatic issues. And uh, and if maybe he had simply addressed those concerns back in Harlan Ellison's day, um, we wouldn't have to deal with the Roddenberry box, and we wouldn't have to talk about the nature of it. Yeah. But you know, that's a big picture meta sort of. Meta sort of analysis that would probably be pretty hard to do. Although, if we want to do that, we should probably start coming up with an alternate timeline now. Okay. And uh, how Star Trek eventually got corrupted because Roddenberry didn't protect it enough. And uh, and then it got spun into 24 continuity, and then they ended up making a terrible show from the producers of 24. Wait, that happened. I must be wrong about that. Maybe we actually are in that universe. Okay, so so as Star Trek was wrapping up or whatever, or we thought it was wrapping up in 1968, he decided to do the backdoor pilot for the second season finale called Assignment Earth. Thoughts on Assignment Earth? Uh, Assignment Earth has some um, fundamental problems in that it's, a, it's another example of Roddenberry trying to approach the problem of humanity from, uh, from, from the angle of science fiction. But in this one, he seems to be approaching it from a much more logical angle. Star Trek seems to approach the idea of of a future humanity from a kind of, I'd say, immature point of view. Because most of the ways we'll destroy ourselves, most of the ways that humanity would probably wipe itself out, are, are probably mostly from incompetence and idiocy than evil. I think I think malicious intent is, has has far less impact on the world and the world of history than dumb. Dumb does a lot of damage because there's way more of it than clever evil. Mm-hmm. So, so a guy like Gary Seven hanging out, making sure that we don't screw things up, is a much more plausible way of getting science fiction into to everyday human existence to explain why things need to change. Yeah, I mean, for me, like Assignment Earth is the the one show out of all of his failed shows that I would have like to have seen i would have actually watched this um and and it is kind of disappointing to me that it doesn't exist uh but what can you do well we can move on to uh genesis 2 which was in 1973 this was the first uh roddenberry pilot which didn't get picked up what did you think about genesis 2 you see see, it's not a good idea for a show because (laughs) it was another example of roddenberry sort of putting the cart before the horse where he he sort of like he, he's interested in talking about things about possible futures and and aspirations that humanity might have, and so he's like, hey, I sh- I know I'll make a show about those aspirations, and then I'll make those the forefront of the dialogue, and then the characters will have to deal with the consequences of being in a situation that makes no sense, and it it ultimately it's what happened with you know like all of the other shows, you know, it's the uh, it's a very sort of problematic 
uh, I've got an ideal that I want to push for here, and uh, despite it not being internally consistent and logical, I'm going to keep pushing it because I think it's more important than making the point that it's a good thing. And that's sort of the frustrating aspect of Roddenberry's thing, because Genesis 2 might actually contain some good ideas, but because he was more concerned about presenting those ideas positively, he wasn't able to adequately explain why they are good ideas. You have to you have to put your your the thing that you care about under fire in order to show that it can hold up to that fire. And by protecting his theories from that said fire, he managed to avoid actually making a, a logical argument for these things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that you know we'll see him do again later on in his career um but yeah i mean as far as genesis 2 is concerned like i think like you're saying like the 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 general premise of the show is sound and and in a sense like i could see you know it working as a pilot even though i don't think that the pilot worked all that tremendously well i think the problem with the show is the the the, that it's it establishes two factions and neither of those factions makes any sense well that, that that is a problem with it but i think another problem with it is um how do you maintain that idea on a weekly basis, you know, and not devolve into, uh, you know, women's lib gone mad? I think that the way that, that that it would have been handled would have been similar to the way a lot of things handled. A lot of shows handled things like that in the '60s and '70s. I mean, there were a lot of there were a lot of high concept procedural shows. Yeah, like th- this would have been a show where you know, like in one episode. You know, somebody comes in and they're like, my baby has magic powers. He can, like, rewind time 30 seconds. And they deal with an episode about how they want to deal with that baby because of his power and how it would question the moral positioning of various leaders and whatnot. I mean, that's that's how those kind of shows go. It's sort of how Star Trek went, and it's sort of part of the problem of trying to analyze Star Trek from a continuity-based perspective because... They didn't care about that. That same year as Genesis 2, uh, Roddenberry did get a show on the air, and that was Star Trek, the animated series. You know, for I, I think that Star Trek, the animated series, is really uh, interesting when looking at it in, in Roddenberry's career because, you know, I, I, I saw that as, you know, obviously, well, he's going back to the well of Star Trek, but, you know, he was doing it in such a way that, you know, he was trying to still achieve the goals which he had set forth in the original series and maybe even, uh, you know, try to find a way to uh, do things which he couldn't do in the original series. I think he, he falls flat on his face in the process, but I think that it's, it's an interesting attempt nonetheless. A year after that in 1974 was the Quester tapes. How do you feel that falls into his, his career? There's nothing interesting in determining how these things fall in his career or, like, ranking them or determining any of that. Okay. I think the interesting thing is, is is why these things were attempted. Okay, well, that's fine. And yeah. Quester Tapes, I think, was another example of Roddenberry trying to go into why people matter. Because there are a lot of people throughout history, people who say that achievement is what makes people matter. That um, the great individuals amongst humanity are the ones who have done something uh, significantly amazing that has made a lot of money or been very successful or has inspired a lot of other people. People who, who adhere to that 
can actually still exist within the world of you know Roddenberry and his creations, and say that uh, that's that's a very good way of pointing things out because they say, look at what Roddenberry achieved. He achieved so many things. He made these great shows, and they, he made this franchise that's still around after all these years. That's a pretty great achievement. And ignoring the the thing that Roddenberry was saying all along was that it's not the actions, or even the even the reactions that that an individual creates. It's the it's the internal mechanisms that make people distinct from non-people. And and you see it over the course of seven years of Next Generation because people, you know, despite not being entirely sure how to make it into a dramatic and compelling storyline, uh, Data's entire history was a really intricate way of saying that it's not emotions – it's not how people see you. It's not how you see people. Like, like the, the, the reason why, you know, why something is human, the reason why, you know, we have a word human and why human is significant to us and why when people act inhumanely, we consider it inhuman. There are a lot of different mechanisms to that. And he was trying to argue that point of view without really being entirely sure what the vocabulary he should use was, which was why he used androids twice. Like, let's talk about humanity and how they work, and let's use androids to show people that these things that make them human aren't biological, they aren't emotional, they're, they're essentially things that you can logically construct, and you can say, this is why this matters. Okay, so uh, after Quester Tapes, um, it, there was the little anomaly known as Spectre in 1977. Anomaly? Mm-hmm. Like, like you were saying, you know, it... it it deals with magic, and it's the one time that uh, Roddenberry does deal with that in a, in yes. a movie. Um, there's an interesting, weird, like sort of like logic to it because there's there there is a weird sort of strain in Roddenberry's science fiction where he's, you know, on, on a number of occasions he's like, like you know that you know that thing that that Asimov thing. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I want to talk about magic and how it might be technology. And then, like, he makes a show about magic, and it doesn't really seem to be connected to that at all. Yeah. And then you think, maybe he was just always kind of interested in this, and he was trying to see if he could do it in this other situation? And and that kind of, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting to see if, like, maybe, maybe, like, the reason where No Man Has Gone Before was about a guy turning into a kind of godlike powered being was because... Roddenberry was really interested in the idea of demons and witchcraft and uh, and just didn't think that the idea had enough uh, legitimacy on its own to support a storyline. Maybe. And then, you know, when uh, they keep canceling his series before they're even made, he's like, oh, God, I'll just have witches. <laughs> but it didn't make it to air, so... <laughs> um, in- that even didn't work. Yeah. In, in 1979, we got uh, a movie, a, a legitimate movie, out of um, something which was going to be a TV show. Legitimate movie? Yeah. All right. Like in theaters and stuff. Oh, yeah. I know what you're saying. Right. And Technically legitimate movie. Yeah. And that movie was Star Trek The Motion Picture, I which like was obviously, uh, you know, sort of a version of Phase 2. Okay, so like 10 years has passed between the original series and the motion picture. Obviously, over those 10 years, Roddenberry probably as a person has changed, and, and, and his concept of what Star Trek is and should be has also changed. 
And, you know, some of that is, is seen in Star Trek, the motion picture. Some more of it will be seen when we get to next generation. But how do you, like, what, what are, what do you think some of the, uh, the changes are or the motivations behind the changes in, in the motion picture from the original series? I'm going to flip that. I'm going to flip it on you. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. All right. Does Star Trek's future represent an aspiration or does it represent an inevitability? I think it represents an aspiration for sure. However, if we are to assume that humanity makes it into this situation, if we are to assume that there is a humanity in the 23rd century, and if we are to assume that we will have spaceships and warp drive or something equivalent to that, is the future that, that, that Star Trek represents for humanity an inevitability? Now, I would say that if we are to make it to Star Trek future, we must not have nuclear bombs. We must not have war on Earth between human beings. We must not have, like, ongoing economic social problems in order to, in, in order to get to that future. We must get rid of those things because if we don't, we will never make it there. The question of, is Star Trek's future inevitable, is the question that Roddenberry was sitting around with over the course of the duration of time between the original series and the movie. Okay. He sat around thinking about how Star Trek worked, what it was, what it represented, what he liked about it, and what he wanted to keep precious about it and keep protected. And when he got the opportunity to go back into that world and change some things... He decided to change some things that he didn't realize were problems earlier. And that's where the question comes in. Is Star Trek's future an inevitable future of a humanity that is still around and and accomplishing these things? Or is Star Trek's future a requirement of that future? Do we have to get rid of wars in order to make it to Star Trek? Or will wars have been eliminated by the time we get there because we're there? There are two different sides to the same issue. And I don't think Roddenberry was entirely sure which side he was on until Next Generation. I think with the movies, he was, uh, he was, he was sort of like bouncing back and forth between those two ways of thinking. He was thinking, okay, either... Either we need to accomplish these things in order to get to this future, or accomplishing those things will lead us to this future. And he didn't really know which one he thought was true. I think by next year he decided um, the inevitability argument is very complicated and difficult to make. So I'm just going to go to this other one because I can at least say I know how to make this argument. We need to get rid of these things in order to get there. Okay, so then moving on to... Next Generation in 1986. Do you think that uh, the changes that he made based on that thinking were for the better or the worse? Why do you think that's the question? I mean, that's that's. I mean, like, I'm I'm interested in that question. Well, because I mean, here you're saying that he he was he was thinking about this for a while, right? Yeah. He was coming I mean, up. I don't think he ever stopped thinking about it. He was coming up with a solution to what he saw as a problem in the original series. A problem in the original series, and by extension, you know, Earth. Right. Okay. So he comes up with this solution. Now, do you think that him coming up with this solution made Next Generation better, or do you think that it in some ways crippled? the show 
considering the fact that the show is not really about the future, it's about the present. I have very little interest in that. Okay. I'm I'm asking why you think it's one or the other. Oh, I don't necessarily do. But because, I mean, like, the question is, uh, like, is the dramatic power of the episodes the vector of quality? I think it's a vector of quality. I would argue that the, that, that the dramatic quality of the episodes is, as a quality vector, I mean, really far down on the list for me. Well, for you. And, and I mean, you know, we, we've kind of established that over time that, you know, if if something has, you know, sort of an interesting idea, you're willing to forgive it uh, as a story um, because it's got an interesting idea in it. And that's perfectly valid and fine and everything like that. But I can also see, you but, know, but, like... But my, like, counter, my counter to any sort of counter to that argument is, is as follows. Uh, if you do not at some point, if you do not on some level have that same mechanism, you're, you would not be a Star Trek fan. Well, I mean, there, there is part of that, you know, for sure. But then there's also, you know, part of me that sees stories which you can find in things like Next Generation and Voyager compared to stories which you can find in things like Deep Space Nine and the original series. And those stories tend to work better. You know, even even the uh, the character ones, or especially the character ones, um, because it's not just about, you know, a, a big, weird sci-fi concept or whatever. It's also about the people, you know, the, 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 the interpersonal the, relationships. And, you know. and, 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 and the thing is, if you're, if you're saying that the best thing about Star Trek is the characters. I'm, I'm not saying that. Okay, but I mean that's – but like if, if you're saying that the stories that work best are, are character stories. I'm, I'm not saying that either. So you're saying that these are stories that work well and you're not saying that, that they are not being favored? I mean like ultimately we're talking about procedural structure here that, that actually does impact the future of the series. What I'm saying is that you can see things that work on sort of a philosophical level and mm-hmm. things that don't, and you can see things that work on a dramatic level and things that don't. And I think that you know the things that work best are the ones where you know both of them are working. But uh, once you see There's a third level. once you see one working, you don't necessarily want to sacrifice that in order for the other thing. Uh-huh. And there you get a problem. Yeah. Because you you can't have all three all the time. Yeah, I mean, perhaps not. I mean, that's sort of that's sort of like the problem that that Star Trek has dealt with since the very beginning. You can't have you can't have your your your, you know, mind expanding shows and then your um oh, I hope those guys don't die episodes. And then, you know, like bridge the gap between those because the gap between those is an entire medium probably the show that does it the best is deep space nine and it's hard i i, I think that the show that does it the best is probably next generation well the problem is that you know um as i see it roddenberry you know had the same philosophy as you or maybe even more so which is you know the gap is so huge that you do need to sacrifice one for the other and he almost like mandated that sacrifice, and uh, that's the, a mistake. The problem, the problem with with the, the mandated sacrifice is that he 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 filled his writing staff with people from other shows, and and people who were not Star Trek people, people who didn't you know get into the industry to write about really bizarre, crazy ideas. He filled it with people who knew how to write hour long dramas. 
No, perhaps that was part of it, but I don't think it was the whole thing. I think it's a significant problem because the like ultimately we're we're talking about a, a show that had a lot of things going for it, and and all of the various other things that Roddenberry attempted to do sort of have one thing in common that they were all other ways of approaching the same sort of issues. He was very interested in pushing humanity into a direction, and one of the problems that he had on Next Generation was he did not know how to do that. He tried to say, I'm going to represent this thing, but I'm not going to question it because I don't want it to be questioned because I'm not sure it will hold up. And so that the Roddenberry box is not, is not him mandating an ideal. It's him mandating a, a, a ceasefire on his, on his point of view. The conflict between characters thing, that wasn't him saying people aren't going to be, you know, people aren't going to argue about things. It was, I don't know what happens when they start arguing. I don't know what falls apart when people start getting into arguments about things. Because a lot of things start to fall apart. Well, let's jump ahead to after Roddenberry's death and take a look at the two shows that he created um, posthumously. So we're in season five. So, um, 1997, Earth Final Conflict, looking at the shows that he, you know, did straight up create and was heavily involved with, do you see this as a Roddenberry show? No. Do you see any elements of Roddenberry in it? I, you know, I, I see it as being similar to Enterprise in some ways. It, it's essentially somebody else seeing something Roddenberry did and thinking, I like that. I like what it says about how dumb that point of view is. And Enterprise, to me, was four years of people saying, here are all the things wrong with the Roddenberry ideal. Let's divorce Star Trek from that ideal entirely so that now we can have... We can, we can, get, we can get some racism back in this series. We've been frustrated by the inability to be racist. Let's get that back in there. Let's, let's start hating people again. Yeah, I, I disagree with your analysis of Enterprise, but um, I don't think that Earth Final Conflict... Um, was much of a, a Roddenberry show either. Uh, now, what about Andromeda? I've said this before. Andromeda is a decent show. I mean, there there are problems with it, but I mean, there are problems with any show that was created in that time. It was it was in it was in, it was in a hellish period for TV series, uh, where you know essentially any new series was going to be burdened with a lot of ridiculous things from the past and a lot of bizarre uh, variations of the future, and this like maybe one or two series that managed to escape the, the burden of that period. Uh, Andromeda isn't one of those, but it works for the most part. The, 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 the rottenberryness of it, it's very little. Very little is there. But the post-Roddenberry sci-fi world, I think that's present. I think that there's, there's clearly an influence of Roddenberry there. Roddenberry, as a, as a guy who made a TV show called Star Trek, is present there in in probably the best way possible, mm-hmm. because it's not it's not a person trying to you know like make a comment about Roddenberry's vision. It's just a person who saw Roddenberry's vision and thought, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I can see that it's an example of like post Roddenberryism, but I do see uh, a lot of Roddenberry in Andromeda a lot more than I do in Earth Final Conflict. I mean, you know, we talked about the Genesis Two influence and everything like that. And yeah, which is insignificant. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe not, but um, I see it there, and it's kind of cool to be able to see sort of an expanded version of Genesis Two, even if it is in space. Okay, so um, out of all of these shows, 
like looking at, at what Roddenberry was trying to accomplish over his career, which do you consider to be the, uh, the, the best example of, of his career? Next Generation is the best thing that he was directly involved in. Well, I would agree with that, too. But, like, it obviously wouldn't have existed had he not had some sort of... Uh, had he not, you know, slipped on a toilet while changing a light bulb and hit his head and had a vision of a science fiction series that involved transporters. Well, what's interesting, yeah, I mean, it is, you know, maybe Next Generation is, is the best out of his things because, obviously, aside from that, Star Trek is the best. And, you know, Next Generation is his uh, his... Second draft on that concept, which is cool, but um, then again, if you look at it in like the series, the the seasons which he was directly involved with on both, it was essentially the first two. The first two seasons of the original series are substantially better than the first two seasons of Next Generation. But then again, Next Generation, he set the table for everyone else. Crazy. You don't think that Next Generation seasons one and two are a lot worse than the original series seasons one and two? I, no, I think, I think mm. you're being unbelievably <coughs> generous uh, to a lot of episodes of the original series. There's a lot of episodes which are crap, but there's so many great ones. Whereas in the first two seasons of Next Generation, there's like two, you know, really good ones. You know, uh, if this was if this was like four months ago, I'd probably agree with you. But I, I recently watched seasons one and two uh, with the Blu-ray release, mm-hmm. and. I also recently watched all of the episodes of the original series, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, no, that's just not accurate. Like there are episodes of of Next Gen that are not good, yeah, at all. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I definitely. And there agree are episodes that. of the original series that are not good, yeah, and wake you up in the middle of the night with how stupid certain oh, bits of dialogue are. They've got that in Next Gen. You wake up in a cold sweat, going. Oh my god, that's the dumbest thing Spock ever said. Yeah, but that that happens on Next Generation too, especially in the first two seasons. Yeah, I think you're being overly generous to the original series and and oddly harsh to the the Next Gen series. And you know, I would have agreed, and I'm, that, that's a, that's an important thing. I would have agreed with you, but having just watched them, uh, I think that I was being unfair to some episodes of the first two seasons. Well, I just finished watching uh, the original series on Blu-ray a few months ago, and now I'm going to get started on Next Generation in you know the next year or so. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe we can have this discussion then after I've rewatched all of TNG. Mm-hmm. Now, out of all these shows, which do you consider to be like the one where you're like, how the hell did this get made? How the hell could could this exist with a Roddenberry? name on it do you want to answer that with me do we do we want to say it at the same time because we both know what it is you're gonna say specter no or you're gonna say earth final conflict. Say earth final conflict, earth conflict. Con- final conflict. I, that's what i would say too i mean specter is why i said one. do you want to say it with me okay all right because right. i knew we were going to say the same thing okay because it's obvious because i mean like if you look into specter it's weird it's an outlier in a lot of ways Way better idea for a series than well, Earth Final sure, Conflict. Sure. Maybe, yeah, maybe Earth Final Conflict has more ideas in it that are Roddenberry-like, but Roddenberry, I don't think, would stoop to the level of I'm, Earth Final Conflict. I'm fairly certain that Earth that that whatever whatever the thing that Earth Final Conflict is based on, it consisted of aliens and a question mark. Okay, having gone over his entire career as a television creator, now. It's over. 
what what conclusions can you draw from it? What are your final what's your final thought on on the subject? What's the last thing you want to say about Gene Roddenberry before we move on? Okay, because else. because I'll forget it if I don't mention it now. Earlier, you cut out a thing about the thing I said, and I remember thinking afterwards, I really like that thing I said. I don't remember where I said it or why I said it, but my but my statement was essentially Gene Roddenberry was a better person than producer. I'd agree with that. Yeah, and and it sort of sums up a lot of things for me because it's like it's a hard thing to phrase. Like, no, he he was really awesome, but he didn't really know how to make TV. In some ways. Some aspects of TV kind of eluded him. He knew how to do certain things. But other parts... And then you kind of just go, you know what? He's a better person than producer. Uh, he, he, was, he, was, uh, he was really nice to people. Everybody who knew him said that he was super great. The producer aspect of, of the personality seemed to be sort of burdened. He wasn't entirely sure how to do it. Uh, and that's an interesting thought and one which I agree with. You know, if if I have one one thing to say based on looking at all of these these shows and everything, it's that, you know, he was trying a lot of different things with a lot of the different shows, but really Star Trek had this sort of umbrella approach to it which which sort of encompassed all of the ideas that he was looking at in all of his other shows. It, yeah. you know, I mean we talked about it as, you know, sort of a pseudo anthology and um, in in that sense, you know, it allowed him to tackle pretty much all of the ideas which were important to him or which seemed to be important to him and look at them. And, you know, maybe something like Quester Tapes could have done the same thing or Assignment Earth. But, you know, the fact of the matter is Star Trek is the one that, that took off and that's the one that, that did it. And, you know, the fact that all of the, his other shows failed in in one way or another is kind of irrelevant because he was able to do everything that he wanted to do on Star Trek, as far as I can see. So, so that's it, it for Gene Roddenberry. Um, we, we will be back next week with the first part of our new series, which will look at Nicholas Meyer as a author. As always, you can find our other show on CommentaryTrackStars.com. It's called Commentary Track Stars. Um, you can also uh, find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars. At ComTrackStars. Mm-hmm. And you can find us uh, in the email thingy. <laughs> um, at Mike can't talk! ComTrackStars. He <laughs> forgot how words work. ComTrackStars <laughs> at gmail.com. So, the email uh, thingy. Be sure to write to us. Let us know what you think. And, Write us an email thingy. And, and we will talk to you later. <laughs>